Welcome to the Nova Podcast. Welcome back to the Nova Podcast. My name is Jeff Counts and I am your guest host on this episode three of the virtual pre-concert lecture series for the 2021-2022 season. This concert, Songs of Perseverance, this is all music written at or about times when great strength was required to survive the often horrible things we human beings do to one another and the world. Let's move to the string trio of Gideon Klein. Before I tell you about Gideon Klein, I want to read to you a list. This is a list of composers who died before the age of 40, composers who were taken from us far too young. George Gershwin, Felix Mendelssohn, George Bizet, Henry Purcell, Wolfgang Amadeus Mozart, Bellini, Schubert, Pergolesi. The list probably goes on, and it definitely includes names we don't know as well but should, names like Lily Boulanger, names like Juan Cristostomo Ariaga, who was the Spanish Mozart in the early 1800s, a student of Carabini, and only 19 when he was taken from us. Gideon Klein belongs on this list. He died just shy of his 25th birthday. Let's talk a little bit about his life. Gideon Klein was born in December of 1919 in Moravia. At the age of six, he was very precocious musically and studied piano. And in 1938, entered the Master School of the Prague Conservatory with a pretty good reputation already behind him as a young phenom in the music world. Klein would have graduated and continued his studies in just one year had not the Nazis closed down all institutions of higher learning following their occupation of Czechoslovakia in March 1939. So even though he couldn't continue his studies, he was, tried to stay active as a performer, did as much as he could, was widely um, lauded for his technical polish and his unusual maturity for someone so young. He was offered a scholarship in 1940 to study in London, but was never able to go because the Nazis, of course, didn't allow Jews to leave any longer at that point. And he was forbidden to perform as a Jewish man. He circumvented this for a while by taking on a stage name. Um... But even that became dangerous at a certain point. In December of 1941, with a lot of other Jews from the area around Prague, he was deported to Teretzin. We have to talk for just a second about this place, Teretzin. It was a ghetto labor camp that the SS used to incarcerate certain categories of German, Austrian, and Czech Jews based on their age, disability, or domestic celebrity in the arts or other cultural life. So the place was full of intellectuals. It was also an important place for the Nazis to use as a bit of propaganda fiction. They encouraged the arts there. They encouraged other activities because they wanted to distract from the deadly truth of the other more famous camps now throughout the Reich. It was a holding center. It was a place where people went before they were sent to the killing stations elsewhere. And he was there for a while and allowed to make music. He wrote his string trio there. It's entirely possible that this string trio was not only his last work, but the last work written by anyone before the camp was closed down. Klein went from there just a few days after completing that work to Auschwitz. He was there for a short period of time, and then he ended up in Furstengruba, which was a coal mining labor camp for men in Poland. We're not exactly sure how he died, 
but he did either die in the camp or died being marched from the camp towards the end of the war. We will never know how much music this gifted young man could have brought us. And in fact, that list I read to you before, it probably includes hundreds of really important unwritten ghost works. It staggers the mind to even think of it. The music of the trio speaks for itself, and it speaks of a very bright and very courageous young man. The first and last movement have a very neoclassical clarity to them. He was definitely embracing some of the not just forward thinking, but also anachronistic uh, homage thinking that was going to become a lot more common during this century. The center movement of the work, though, the middle movement is a set of variations on a folk song from Klein's native Moravia. And it is definitely the piece that provides the anchor, the emotional anchor for the trio experience. Next, we will hear Rates of Extinction by Chinese-born composer Wang Lu. Her music is described, again, through her biography as sound that reflects a very natural identification with influences from traditional Chinese music, urban environmental sounds, linguistic intonation and contours, and freely improvised traditions through the prism of contemporary instrumental techniques and new sonic possibilities. Any close study of her catalog to date shows that she is quite adventurous, quite an experimenter, not afraid to challenge instrumentalists and stretch the capabilities of the instruments they play. She's currently an assistant professor of music at Brown University and highly sought after in chamber music circles. She's got a very robust career in the contemporary music scene. I'll read to you now from her program note for Rates of Extinction. Quote, Every day, industrial expansion and the modernization of societies push the limit of Earth's natural capacity to accommodate and sustain us. Many animal species quietly suffer and become extinct due to the harsh conditions imposed by human advancement. This piano work starts from the idea of using gradually decreasing and decelerating polyrhythmic layers as simple tempo pulse motives to represent the heart rates of different animals that went extinct around 2015. This piece then takes a different direction in a more improvisational style. Rates of extinction not only expresses the sorrowful, almost lament-like, irreversible winding down process of precious life, but also celebrates an imagined eternal freedom through the blossoming of pianistic virtuosity. Those are the words of Wang Lu about her work, Rates of Extinction. Some adjectives used to describe the five movements I found from a writer, Matthew Younglove, on the blog, I Care If You Listen, in his review of a recording of this work by pianist Ning Yu, described the movements as the first movement, vastly open and dark, The second movement is more urgent. The third movement is slow and representative of tremendous loss. While the fourth movement is defined by a persistent Morse code motive and frequently interrupted by what he calls jazz comping. And the last movement returns to a peaceful and calm aesthetic. This music requires a lot of the pianist. There's a lot of ground to cover emotionally and technically. It also asks the audience to experience uh, the performance in a slightly different way as the music was intended to be accompanied by visual images. I won't say much about those because I certainly don't want to spoil them, but it does bring quite a lot to the experience. I'll note here that Wang Lu is somewhat coy about the animals she's specifically referring to in Rates of Extinction. 
They're not specifically mentioned in the score or as you clearly heard in her program note. But I'm reminded that 2015 was just one of many years where animals leave us forever and how this piece is not so much about perseverance, but maybe the loss of perseverance and maybe a call for perseverance for those of us that are still here in hopes maybe that we can keep this from happening so much in the future. As a little bit of a sad example of this message in her work, I can tell you that in the year 2021, the year we just passed, we lost about 23 different animals. Science is certain that at least 23 animals could be confirmed as extinct. Several were birds from Hawaii, several were mussels, there was a couple of fish, but I will note that, to me, the one that stands out most sadly on the list is the ivory-billed woodpecker. Now, no one's seen one of those since the 1940s, but there's been great hope in the birding community and the natural world in general that this animal was still holding out somewhere in the American Southeast, and science has just this year decided to give up the search and declare that animal gone once and for all. Last on the program, but far from least, is the piano trio of Clara Schumann. Clara Schumann is perhaps known best because of her married last name as the wife of Robert Schumann, but as you will see, she had a career that in many ways eclipsed his. She was born in 1819 in Leipzig, and her mother was a talented singer. Her father was a very tough and highly regarded piano teacher. At 14, Clara gave the premiere of her own piano concerto with Mendelssohn on the podium. By 18, she had become one of the leading virtuosos in all of Europe, and this is saying something. There were a lot during that time. One anonymous reviewer reported that in her creative hands, the most ordinary passage, the most routine motive, acquires a significant meaning, a color, which only those with the most consummate artistry can give. That describes her as a composer too, but we'll come back to that. She first met Robert when he came to study with her dad in 1830, and by 1840 they were married. She had eight children with him and took charge of many of the household responsibilities, and as you can imagine, this probably kept her from composing as much as she might have otherwise. She was, the, however, the primary breadwinner, so she had to tour a lot and give a lot of performances. She played her own music, she played Robert's, and she was also a champion of a very young contemporary upstart named Johannes Brahms. We could do entire podcasts about that relationship, but we'll leave that for now. I will close this bit about her life with a quote that she herself gave about composing and what it meant to her. She said, composing gives me great pleasure. There is nothing that surpasses the joy of creation, if only because through it, one wins hours of self-forgetfulness when one lives in a world of sound can imagine some of the things she might have been trying to forget. It's not easy for a woman to succeed in the classical music business now. I can't imagine how it was for somebody with her gifts and her breadth of talent in the early 19th century to do so. Talk about perseverance. There's a wonderful article for The Guardian from 2019 written by Isata Kane Mason, the young British pianist, who calls Clara Schumann the Beyonce of her day, and I think she's exactly right. Clara wrote her piano trio in 1846, and she did so before Robert wrote the first of his. He didn't tackle that particular grouping of instruments for at least another year. 
His piece, of course, in the nature of things, eclipsed hers, even sadly in Clara's own mind. She lost a little bit of confidence in her own work. Someone who incidentally never did, though, was Brahms. He was always a strong proponent of this piece and performed it often. It, it begins softly. It's got a lot of bold, very interesting motivic development in the first movement. It's got a lot of Beethoven in it. It's very polished, very mature. The music of an absolute genius artist. And it's easy to tell why Brahms loved the music, especially when you hear the finale, with its folk infusions and winking references to the earlier movements. I'll give the last word on Clara Schumann back to Isa Takane Mason in her article where she calls Clara the Beyonce of her day. Here's what she says. Researching her life, I couldn't believe that she had managed to sustain such a long and busy concert career, spanning from childhood right into old age, along with having eight children and a husband who slowly declined into severe mental illness and eventually died in an asylum when still in his 40s. She also had a difficult childhood. Her father, Friedrich Weich, a very overbearing man, was set on creating a concert pianist in Clara, something particularly tough, that it was in a male-dominated world. I hope you've enjoyed this discussion of the music from Songs of Perseverance. Perseverance can manifest itself in so many different ways, not just musically, but in all art. And it is a great way to reflect and be thoughtful about things that vary from carelessness about animal species to the atrocities of the American South and the Third Reich to the slow burn of trying to make it in a world as anything other than a male. I hope you enjoy the music, and I look forward to talking to you again next month on the Nova Podcast. Nova has received generous support from the Utah Legislature and Utah Division of Arts and Museums, the Lawrence T. and Janet T. D. Foundation, Salt Lake County Zoo Arts and Parks, George S. and Dolores Dory Eccles Foundation, Isotope, Salt Lake City Arts Council, the Cultural Vision Fund, Dominion Energy, Rocky Mountain Power Foundation, the Alice M. Ditson Fund of Columbia University, and the Aaron Copeland Fund for Music. Don't forget to subscribe and share the Nova podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening.